welcome back to Rounding the Earth. And today I've got uh, Tessa Lina back with us. Uh, she's been been on here a couple times before. I haven't spoken to her in a while, so I'm glad to have her here, uh, especially with all of the things in the world going on that are still going on in the world. It keeps spinning around and and changing as it goes somehow. Um, but I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll bring her in. I'll, I'll let her introduce herself to uh, those of you who who aren't familiar with Tessa, uh, who fights robots for us. Uh, thank you, Matthew. It's a pleasure to be back. And well, thank you for putting me on the spot too, <laughs> uh, giving the job to me to introduce myself. So I am Tessa Lena. I also go by Tessa Fights Robots. And I've done an incredible amount of different things of, in life. So I'm a musician. I did Tibetan studies in anthropology and linguistics. I actually did some computer programming very, very long time ago when I had a passion for that for a few years, and then I fell out of love with it. And uh, I've been writing about transhumanism and big tech for a few years, starting at least 2013-14 when absolutely nobody cared. And then in 2020, I started writing about what was going on pretty much right away, April 2020 and the rest is, is history so we're here see uh, see this is so good i i had you introduce yourself you said i was putting you on the spot but but uh, you said something that i love already that i think is so important um you said that you did something for a time in your life that you were passionate about and then you kind of fell out of love with it and so you did other things and and i i, I wish that more people explored life that way because i feel like um we are uh, consistently pushed in a direction of over-specialization and people sort of almost give up on us if we decide that we're interested in doing something else. Yeah, it feels like that there's a distinct pressure in society for that. And I think that's part of the reason why sort of, uh, why people sort of get pigeonholed into, I don't know, specific forms of lack of understanding of the world. But, you know, you're, you're here with us. You're somebody who's explored, you know, six different avenues on your path to get here. And, and I think that that's a lot of the reason why you have a unique voice. Oh, thank you. No, that was actually, I look back and I laugh because I came into the world of IT from the position where I didn't know where, you know, probable joke, press any key, the person would look for the key that says any key, that was me. And then, <laughs> uh, but I was interested in linguistics and, I, and I've, I've studied linguistics. Uh, Actually, that was my that was my major linguistics and Tibetan studies. And so and then I found myself in the States and I wanted to make money. And then somebody said, oh, well, why don't you check out this like coding thing or not? And and I did. And I fell in love. I became a maniac. I was spending my nights like I, I, I loved it. So I actually really loved it. And then a few years down the line, I was like, ah, nah, not my thing. But I was good at it. Like to this day, I don't know how, because I was in a tech team writing frameworks for other developers. Like I was working with all the people who are probably a million times smarter than me, but I somehow faked it. I mean, I didn't fake it, but they thought I was smart. I thought I was faking it anyway. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a lot of people don't think that they're going to be good at logic disciplines until they're in, in the position of doing it. I think that there's a fear that's that, you know, there's sort of an ingrained fear of it. But um, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I like uh, yeah, I, I like talking with people who have re-educated themselves multiple times because it, it's, it's a reminder that yes, we can like, whenever it is that we choose to, if we want to learn, I don't know, a science, um, you know, later in life, 
um, we want to learn a language, you know, later in life, if we want to change careers later in life. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're taught to think almost like, oh, you're not going to be good at it if you don't start doing it early. And the truth is, you know, a lot of things you can't be the best in the world at if you don't start when you're five years old. You're not going to be the world's chess champion if you don't start when you're five years old. But, you know, nearly everything that, that we accomplish is not accomplished by the world chess champion. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that is true. <laughs> I, I enjoy your laugh. Um, and I think that maybe, that, maybe that's why you're like such a good person to talk about. You know, well, we named this. Again, it's such a gloomy, you know, uh, title for today's conversation: uh, historical global trauma. Um, but I feel, but whenever I, whenever I see what's going on in the world, and I see so many people who are so anxious, right? Um, you're one of the people that I think of, in terms of like having a voice talking about what's going on. And it's clear to me that you're not a person who's um, terrified. Right. You don't live your life to be terrified. You know, uh, you're, you're living your life to find, you know, joys, interests, passions and 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 to think it through and to write about it. And, you know, you know, maybe uh, and, and maybe you'll have a next era for yourself since you seem to learn new things over and over again. That's a segue. I don't I'm, I'm babbling. I don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe maybe I'll just pass the baton to you. Oh, the baton. Let it be the baton. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take the mic. But so, thank you. I first of all, I, I appreciate it. I also really enjoy the uniqueness of your voice. And I'm not praising you because you praised me just now. I actually sincerely think that. I, I think that you're fearless and uh, you're not afraid of being original. And I, and I love that about you. Probably that's that's kind of like a similarity. You know, like being an odd person in the room, always a rebel among the rebels. That kind of thing. I totally relate. So yeah, well, that, that's a greatly appreciated uh, compliment. Oh, uh, it's sincere. So as far as gloom, well, I want to start with practical points and then go go into philosophy and the usual. So the practical point is that freaking out doesn't help. Even that's just I want to write it in big letters. No matter what is going on, no matter how objectively horrible, abusive, terrifying it may be, no matter how potential life changing it may be, getting anxious is the last thing that you want to be because under the same circumstance you'll do better if you're not anxious now uh i think until certain life experience comes it's easier said than done the reason why i am not terrified is that i've been through so much crap that honestly i know that crap comes and goes and so I was not viewing things necessarily this way practically before I went for this crap. Theoretically, I've always been an optimist and like everything's going to be fine. And I would tell everybody everything's going to be fine. But then one thing is to talk about it. The other thing is to actually feel it. I actually am not scared at all. And meaning, I think what's happening is ridiculous. It's absolutely abusively ridiculous to the ridiculous degree. It's awful. And it's disgusting and i feel a lot of contempt for the people who are behind the puppeteers behind this whole great reset and the fourth industrial revolution and manifest destiny and the entire trajectory that says that abusing people is success and that dominating people is success that's crap however 
uh, people lived through the Soviet Union, people lived through horrible, not everybody, but then in the end we all die anyway. So I'm not an atheist, for example, so I do believe that there's life after we die in this body. So, and there's meaning to this life. So we're going to die anyway, regardless. I mean, we're not going to escape dying at some point. So it makes sense to live a meaningful life, to not be afraid and to be up straight, like stand up, not on our knees. I think on our knees makes for a very miserable life. And one thing that I discovered just through living through different things is that nobody really can make you scared until you accept it. And there are tricks to make you scared. There's violence there, all those things. But I do think that they, they, they do have tricks to make you scared. Can, can I interject in there? Oh, can, can I just like finish the two? two oh, yeah, sentences? yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So I apologize. So if you survive it, and I think if it's in your destiny to survive it, you'll survive it. Then you'll know how to not only survive the next one if it comes and also help others. And that's hmm. that's the point. I think we live through crap so that we come, we, we, we get the strength to help others because life is not easy necessarily. Yeah. You you think in terms of being a member of a community. Yep. A lot of a lot of people don't. And I think that's that's part of where the tricks begin. Um, but, you know, what you said about, uh, you know, the tricks they play on you. Um, one of them that came to mind that's sort of like the opposite, like you, you can trick people into making them scared and fearful. But also there's this other side, this fear of missing out. And uh, sometimes people refer to this as FOMO, right. FOMO fear of missing out. And it, it, it's interesting to me that you know when I think about how I've become less fearful of death over the years, I realized that when I was very young, I had a certain FOMO, right? Like there were these things in life that I didn't want to miss out on that I needed to experience, right? And then you know perhaps there was some point at which uh, I, I reached a, a different level of maturity, at which you know I thought about certain things like, oh, you know, what if there were you know, a whole bunch of me. No, not a bunch of me, a, a bunch of different people. Oh, a community. And what if each of us, you know, behaved with this sort of principle that we would be willing to, you know, die for the things that were most important for us. And instantly, you know, it, it, it began to rewrite the software in my head, right? Like, as in, um, if you don't stand up for those things, for those moments, then you're, you're abusing the community, but you can imagine each person being yourself or step into their shoes or something like that. And, and you realize that you're, you're betraying the community, right? Anytime you don't, anytime you don't um, say, I would be willing to die for this. And, and, and you know, it, I don't know, it, it may be an awful thing, but awful things happen. More awful things happen if we don't do it. I think if a lot of people stop being afraid and, and I want to emphasize that's a state. That's not an idea. That's not a theoretical notion that one believes in. That's a state. When a lot of people stop being afraid, I think miracles are going to happen. And I'm not even being lofty or solemn or theoretical or metaphorical. I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's the destination. And uh, you mentioned trauma. And the whole, of course, the name of this entire discussion has to do with global trauma. And I think life has a magical way of using our trauma to make us stronger if we survive and i do believe that if it's in our destiny to survive something we will 
and unless we do something horribly stupid. So I, I do believe, again, I'm not an atheist, uh, and I do think that we have protection from the good forces of the universe as we go through maybe difficult and trying things, we're not alone. And we are somebody who is very important by virtue of being born, we have a, a very important and very unique role to play. We're not replaceable. Each of us who is born here is unique and comes with a unique gift. And when things are very, very tough and confusing, sometimes it's good to pray however you pray it doesn't matter whether it's an official religion or you just scream to the spiritual world how you feel it or you pray to the universe uh i think that telling other people how to pray is about the worst thing one can do and the most anti-spiritual I, I, I agree yeah i think that the most important thing in prayer is sincerity and praying like you're a child talking to a friend and that's regardless of whether you screwed up or whether you feel good about yourself or bad about yourself or scared. I think the sincerity of the prayer is the most important thing. And just think and feel how it is. You don't need to elaborate or, you know, make things. What, what is God? Uh, that's that's not a question I expected to answer. And I don't, I mean, I think that there is a, there's God. God as in, you know, God, but we cannot really... The, the nature of human being, human existence, is that we don't know where God is. We don't, we can only feel it. And uh, I think once we die, we'll have a better knowledge of it. But all cultures that, I, that I'm familiar with, and that includes cultures who precede, that precede the world religions, all cultures had the uttermost reverence of God, the creator. And then, of course, that notion was vastly misinterpreted by, I think, politicians to be pretending religious leaders. And that, that is you know, a big thing that I like to talk about, write about, when they said that the older cultures, they didn't revere God. That is not true. That is a lie. They did. Every culture that I know of revered God, the creator, like before anybody else. But then people have different types of prayer and different ways of, of going about it. I, but, I like what you did there. You, you, you don't want to define God uh, because you 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 uh, admit to a, a level of ignorance. Yeah, you know, just the nature of being, you know, these limited, you know, little beings that we are. Uh, we we are limited. Um, uh, and you you talked about the experience that people have. And I had a thought, and I don't want to run this by you. I'm curious as to what your reaction to this thought is. Um, sometime maybe a year and a half ago, I was thinking about that question of, of you know, what is God? And <clears throat> I've always sort of bypassed answering it, 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 it as in like a definition, right? And the this sort of pandemonium that, that we've been in um, made me look at people and see there are people who appreciate life. Right. Just they appreciate existing. And that's almost like a love of goodness or perhaps a love of God. Then there are people who are bitter over existence. For whatever reason, they are. Um, <clears throat> the, the, let's see, what's what's the right word? They are um, disconnected. I, I, I don't know if disconnected is the right word. Um, they. Well, the bitterness, but I think it comes from being disconnected from the joy of life. They 
they don't feel it. They don't they, they don't enjoy it because they don't feel fully alive. That was my observation of a similar phenomenon, I think. There's a word that I've used. I'll, I'll see if I can come up with it in just a moment. But um, but basically, it, you know, the way that I think of God, you almost can't not believe in it. It's just a matter of whether or not you're appreciating it. As in, you know, you're, are you appreciating existence? As and and even even when it's hard, I mean, like you know, saying it's hard or it's painful is not lack of appreciation, right? Like, you know, it's clear that you have an appreciation for existence and that you would have that appreciation whether you're having a good day or a bad day or a good year or a bad year or a good decade or a bad decade. Um, Let's stay good. Let's stay good to everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have the feeling you, you look for the good. <laughs> I do, but I think that is... Well, being alive is such a magical gift, and I'm not being like la 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 lofty new age. I actually don't like the new age thing, although I have full respect for whatever people do, but it's not my thing. But, uh, uh, and I do have full respect, and I, I want to make that sure. So, I, I actually I don't feel arrogant about it, although it just sounded like it. But, um, I think that it is such a miracle because. Like, think about it. One day, maybe a million years from now, maybe 10 million years from now, we don't know. Sun will be gone, Earth will be gone. No, it doesn't matter what wars we have, what we think today, whether we're good people, bad people towards each other, what we do to nature. I mean, regardless, there will be a point in time when all of it is gone, like gone, gone completely, right? And the, the ugliest things that will have been happening will have nostalgic beauty to it. Like, the, the ugliest buildings in the streets, and I remember what I was doing this mental exercise when I was a kid. Uh, I lived in the Soviet Union. They made buildings that looked like what pro a project is in America. So those ugly, like big buildings, no, no aesthetic beauty of them whatsoever. And I was thinking, what an ugly building. And then but one day it's going to be gone. And it's going to be like, oh my God, there was this beautiful thing that human beings made. And they put some love into that. And they had their lives there. So th it's... I think if you think about it from the standpoint of one day, not only you're not going to be there in your current form in this particular spot in time uh, and space and in this unique space, but the entire thing is going to be gone. Like all the arguments we have, all the conflicts we have, and all, all obviously all the law, all of it is going to be gone. And doesn't it make sense to actually be fully alive and make the best use of what you have. It's like, imagine if you have a bank account that is really big, but you don't know about it. And then you find out about it and maybe like five minutes before you, five minutes before you die. And you're like, oh my God, I could be doing all those things. And I wasn't doing that, that, that would suck. So it really makes sense to just enjoy it as much as possible. Again, not as theory, theory doesn't work. That it is actually, I want to also clarify, that is my grudge against some of the new age self-help people. They bullshit because they just like sell you the idea that you can somehow externally graft this notion of, I don't believe in grafting. I don't think grafting works. I think you have to go through something on the inside and you figure it out and hopefully have some help from either literature or people who are wise, but really like you are the one doing the work. And that's, right. yeah. if it's not your actions, then right. then uh, then there's something wrong in the meditation process. 
Right. Right. Like it, whatever your your theoretical thoughts are, if they're not, if if you're not manifesting them, then you then you've got some sort of flawed process of you know turning those thoughts into reality. I, I came up with the word that I was trying to find earlier: uh, resentful. Resentful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I almost think like it, you know when when people use words, um, you know, biblical words or scripture words. <clears throat> Uh, you know, I, I sometimes try to turn those into, I don't know, frames, like frameworks of reality. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, there are some people who are dedicated to resentfulness. And I think that is sort of the opposition to, you know, to, you know, acting as if in appreciation of existence. I, if that I makes sense. So. Yeah, it does make sense. Either you appreciate our existence or you're resentful of it. One of the two. And it, and it seems like, um, it, you know, there's a strange conversation during the, the, you know, the pandemic pandemonium, whatever, you know, people might want to call it. Um, <clears throat> uh, it feels like, it, well, some people call it a spiritual war and some people go hyper-religious with their conversations about it. I actually worry sometimes that some of the people going hyper-religious talking about it are actually doing so to create an audience and not solve the problem, right? What Similar to what you just said about some of the New Age people, which I fully agree with, and, and I grew up in, a, in, a, in that kind of culture, actually. Um, some of the, the New Age messengers are um, people who aren't really doing a good job uh, of, you know, connecting, uh, I don't know, a, a principle that might be theoretical to, to action and that, and that one way or another, we need to be finding ways to live in this world, not just, you know, say, well, be, be happy with what there is. Well, no, you know, it also involves taking action, building what you want built. Right. I have so many things to say, and I hope I don't forget them. So, and it, it relates to what you said and also to what I was going to say anyway, like a politician. So, <laughs> no, but it actually really relates to what you, you were just saying. Uh, I want to introduce the concept and then wrap a whole ball of things around it. So the concept is uh, mother of all psyops. I came up with this phrase recently and uh, I think that the whole point of the great reset is to figure out the mother of all psyops and i think until we do that we are going to be getting great resets and we might be getting tactical victories here and there from all the amazing courage that and uh, courageous actions that people do in areas of their expertise be doctors or lawyers who like there's so much courage in the freedom movement or whatever it is. And there's also crap, but there's a lot of courage. So we're going to get tactical victories. But I believe very strongly that until we get to the root of the problem, we are going to be walking in circles, which doesn't mean that every individual existence is going to be miserable because under any global situation, individual lives vary. There could be a good life or a bad life, depending on where you are in this time, in this place. So that's a different matter. But as far as globally, here's what I think it is. Here's what I think the mother of all psyops is. At some point, 
politicians, and I want to say in big letters on the wall, politicians. They were not necessarily prophets, or even they pretended to be prophets sometimes, and sometimes people believed them sometimes. I mean, like, it's all complicated in history, but I think they're politicians. They came up with this idea that nature is our enemy, and there's a separation between God and nature, that God is good, nature is bad, which, if you think God created nature, so, and... So then th there is this whole conspiracy against the essentially people who use their senses, the rural folk. For example, the word, you know, pagan. Sometimes I get this and it breaks my heart. Like people who I deeply love and respect and they do amazing work. And then they go about the darkness of paganism as being the source of the great reset. It's the opposite. It's the same dark forces who did great reset. Point number one. Uh, which was the assault on all of our ancestors all over the globe in this hemisphere most recently, but not exclusively. All of our ancestors were assaulted at some point by politicians. And I want to say again, they if they said religious words, it was a lie because God, you know, God is love, right? I mean, that, that's my assumption anyway. But so pagans, the word paganos in Latin means world dweller. And it came Can you repeat that? Rural dweller. It's just, it's a village yokel. It's a peasant. Rural dweller. That's that's all it is. And so, and interestingly, in the Russian language, Pagani uh, is like Pagani, plural. That The adjective, the Russian adjective means like, absolutely disgusting. That's the Russian word. So it traveled from being a rural dweller, that pagan as in, as it was presented by the conspirators of past centuries, to separate people from their powers and from their possessions, just like now. So they, they knew what flyover states were before we had planes? Oh, man, I, <laughs> I don't know about that. But so so the etymology, because the story is so vast, and I know I'm all over the place. I want to try to now focus and tell it in a linear manner. So uh, the word uh, Paganus, it was really, it became a thing maybe like third, fourth centuries, right around the time when the Romans decided to make Christianity and convenient official religion for their own domination, right? So naturally, the slaves and the people in the cities, they were easier to confuse and easier to convert because people who are on the land usually have a like a physical mind, right? I mean, they're hard, like, like today, what they say, the right-wingers, the farmers, the conservatives, like people of common sense, right? was the same thing back then. So they called them village yokels because they didn't want to go with the government policies, just like today. And then eventually over time, it started carrying this meaning that like Paganos as a pagan, and they put like lots of slandering into that, just like today with anti-vaxxers and conservatives. It's almost identical. However, because this slander is many centuries old, it was internalized by many, many good people, which is why I say that when I hear people say that, I don't, I mean, it just breaks my heart. It's like, it breaks my heart in the same manner uh, as when somebody says they like the vaccine, because it's like my heart, like you've been lied to, what can I do? I feel the same way. But the irony of it is that, and there's also the positive side to that. I think that human beings, all of us, all of us who are on the sincere side of things, no matter how 
vastly we are lied to, we find our truth. We find our heart. And even if we are told by politicians and uh, people with dark intentions, people who want to steal from everybody, let's say a person like that who wants to steal from everybody, and they say, oh, I'm speaking for God. And let's say they have a big enough gun or sword or spear or whatever it is, right? So they convince a lot of people over time, everybody forgets. Then the entire history is the, uh, rewritten like it usually is from the position of whoever, the biggest bully, but the biggest guns or, or, or swords or whatever it is. But then on the inside, we still have the spirit. We have the connection to the creator. It's inalienable. It, like, it's who we are. You can't take it away from a person. You can kick somebody off their axis. You can kick somebody off their soul and make them separated and create a lot of troubles and harm and pain and all sorts of things. But you can't really, you can't, you, you, I mean, like, it's still ours. So when people are told lies and over centuries, nobody remembers anything. We just have this story. People may believe in a story that is untrue on some level. However, when they pray, they still talk to the same creator. They invoke the same energy of light. And it is significantly harder to make sense of the world when there's so much lying that piled up over centuries. And it may take many, many years or decades for somebody to figure it out. But we still have this light, which is why I don't get too worked up when people so addressing your point now. So when people make the great reset about specifically very religious statement that is aggressive, I think that's an expression of anxiety and abuse and trauma. And that person needs healing. And I'm not saying it as an arrogant anything because we all do at some point in life we did we need healing right. more I, I i think that's true with with most of the people i think that the, there are also the people who include it into the mother of all psyops and then use it as messaging that that is also true i think that that is actually that is true and i think it's hard to say like you know you would need to look at each person and try to figure them out i think the majority of people are sincere and the pure charlatans are almost a smaller problem. I mean, they might do things that very smartly for following, and they do, and I lament it, and I don't like it one bit. However, there are very few of the people who are genuinely trying to confuse on purpose. They can create a lot of problems, but they're few. The majority of people and the ones to whom I extend my full love are the people who are sincere because, you know, they've been given a certain message when they were growing up. And all of us, to some extent, believe in whatever we're told when we were kids, because it's like it's pure and sacred. And then we use that linguistic framework to explain the world. So why my hope lies is that no matter how messed up the framework may be over the centuries, uh, nonetheless, the spirit is there. And as long as we communicate to each other in the language of the spirit, of the creator, however you call it, the, the pure thing, the real thing, then we are good and we don't have to agree. And I had that exchange with some people, you know, sometimes I get emails, or, you know, comments saying, but Tessa, but, 
you're not you're, you're not using the biblical language and like what's wrong with you i mean no they don't say what's wrong with you they're usually very sweet uh and <laughs> i love them back and they, they love me but then when we start actually talking we often come to the uh conclusion we're talking about the same thing we're actually talking about the same thing because how many creators are there there's only one creator right so and then underneath this tremendous complexity and beauty but even and i want to make a historical reference for example so what was done historically through i don't know the tradition the middle eastern tradition for example right so in older cultures in all older cultures they use the word spirits then uh in cultures that are more recent they said the cherubim or the angels it's the same thing but then they're saying if somebody says the word spirit it's bad if somebody says the word angel it's good i mean that is marketing so when people argue with each other about terminology like that again i on the one hand am very sad on the other hand speaking to hope i think that we've spent a few thousand years confusing things and maybe that's an important phase of the humanity's development we may spend another few thousand years unconfusing things and hopefully in the kindest manner but it's going to be fine i mean there's the creator there's this beauty it's we're in good hands it's all you know yeah i i'd like to stop and address that because um i i've thought uh, along a very similar set of lines that uh that what you know however awful things might seem in certain ways uh well i mean you know humanity's always had various problems right i mean it, you know uh, life is always full of challenges it does seem that we live in this era hopefully i i hope that it's the end of of this era in which um a handful of humans are able to enslave or quasi enslave nearly everyone else right or at least everyone who might have the power to rival them um and, and i you know you're that you're right that's been going on for thousands of years there are all these games that get played surrounding this one fact right that um that perhaps some um of the psychopaths sort of bubbled up you know out and then on top of you know of what became a human pyramid this hierarchy um and and <clears throat> i i think that that they and, and people who follow them may even think that that's the reason for the good things that we have in civilization right i i think that they that they try to um well i i think that they can't see into the hearts of other people which is which is the definition of psychopathy essentially right that that they can't really um you know, view the shared experience to even know. And so they can only see the materialistic aspect or see from their, their own vantage point. But let, let's say that this is essentially sort of an attack on humanity as a community, right? Let, let's, let's imagine this, this is like a challenge. Uh, ultimately, uh, a species will survive by constantly finding little ways to change incorporate the thing you know find defenses countermeasures it doesn't necessarily have to happen overnight maybe not even in generations but eventually there's some way to overcome that to become a healthier version of itself and then to um you know uh 
I don't know, uh, propagate uh, in, in a healthy and nourishing way, right? I, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm hoping, you know, it, it's funny, um, you know, all the psyops, they take all the good words and phrases. Oh, yeah. They take them away from us, but they're still good words and phrases. And we have to remember that um, the Great Reset could be interpreted as, okay, this is sort of the end of the line. The old, the old oligarchs are going bankrupt, essentially. Right. Their system, they either have to take as much as they can right now or they've lost it. Their supply lines are breaking down. They're trying to pivot as fast as they can. But, um, it, you know, they're having to take with both hands in order to do it. Um, uh, the Great Reset or Build Back Better. Right. A lot of things, <laughs> a lot of things will be broken. Right. Supply lines are breaking down. I, you know, there is some pivoting. There are machines that will not be built in the next generation because some countries aren't going to be communicating with each other and sharing their resources. Right. Or they will only be built in a few places as the countries with the most resources um, make deals with each other. It's going to be a more selfish looking playing field than it was before whereas what it was after world war ii at least at the beginning was this Bretton woods era in which it's okay everybody trade there's one navy and it's going to protect all the shipping lanes the u.s pretty much had the one navy 20 times more naval power than all the other nations combined because everybody destroyed everybody else's boats so yeah it, and and it looked like it looked like um yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, magnificently prosperous, at least in terms of, you know, building feedback loops and people becoming wealthier. But there was clearly a long game, which was the post Bretton Woods era in which the dollar would sit, would, you know, essentially have encompassed the earth and everyone would have to play by, you know, one set of rules. And then, you know, and then the U.S. could pull the rug at any point that it wanted. And I think that that's what we're living through right now is is uh, sort of the second big rug pull since World War II, where the U.S. is is telling the world, well, you know what, we're going to do our own thing. And we're, you know, we're no longer protecting the oceans and the shipping ways. By the way, that means our own people are going to have to, we're, we're going to have to deal with them too, because they're not going to like what's going on right now. And, and I think that, that there's sort of an anti for all the psyops there. Though I'm not sure I'm not sure that the government or, you know, whatever you might call the government that has enough power to do that. Maybe it's the banking system. Maybe it's the military banking complex or corporate military banking complex. There are a lot of pieces there, right? There's a lot of interests. And I think that, that all those interests are sort of vying for various levels of, of that power. But then there's also the American people, right? And and the American people are the, the majority. Um, you know, uh, the, those other interests are... are you know, really, they're sort of the slice on top, oligarchs and mandarins serving them. But, but then, you know, whatever whatever the conflicts are um, externally, they also have to happen internally in order for people to vie for control as to how it all gets reorganized. And and just today, we're seeing that within the banking sector. Um, I I don't think that this is, you know, that this was an accident at all. I think that. Um, you know, when you see a large bank with $200 billion on the book buy so many bonds in an era in which 
rising interest rates and rising inflation were predictable at the same time. I think that they were asking to have a mismatch between short-term liabilities and long-term investments. So suddenly we have this run on these banks <clears throat> and, and, and that includes banks that weren't, you know, uh, having that mismatch of investments. So one bank could essentially sabotage the whole system, at least in terms of, of you know, fear and panic and all of that. So, you know, it, there is this, um, there, there's a clear play between people who want to define what happens next and everybody else who's trying to figure out what's going on. And there's so much fear. There's so much anxiety that I think it's a little bit easier to push people's buttons right now. I agree with you. And I think that we are looking at the controlled demolition, the, the very controlled demolition that the verbal conspiracy theorists have been talking about for a while. It's just it takes time. So it's being rolled out gradually, little by little. And by the way, there's a very good book that I like recommending to people. It's called The Lords of Creation. And it talks about uh, the time period leading into the Great Depression. It's an amazing book. It's really, really sobering. And so I just recommend it to anybody. So I think it's only available on Amazon because it was either banned or something along those lines. It wasn't available. And then Mark Crispin Miller actually worked on making it available. So that's that's a really good book, just very educational. Might be painful to read uh, alongside the news cycle, but it is it is very interesting. And then as far as living through that, uh, I feel almost in awe of the grandeur of the historical moment we're in, because like I was telling you earlier, as one human being, I don't think that I can control what the central bankers want to do or are going to do, because I think whatever they were going to do, they're going to do. If they're going to find this excuse or another, they're going to tank this bank or another, but they're going to at least try this whole CBDC, programmable money, you know, the conspiratorial stuff, I think it's really no longer conspiratorial stuff even. And so most likely they are going to do it. Is it possible that it can be diverted if everybody starts using cash like crazy? I think what actually can divert it, and I, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think if people woke up to their dignity and reflected that in their actions every day, in the very, very concrete, small and big everyday actions, I think it would stop the nonsense on its tracks. And it seems like, oh, so lofty, how would dignity stop the central bankers? I do think, however, is that in a way, and now I'm going to sound like the very new AG people who, so I, I'm, I'm just laughing at it, but so it's everything is energy, right? So, and the word energy has been, misused and hijacked and used in vain so many times. So I am trying to use it in a very concrete, in a very concrete sense. So if everybody started making choices, dignity uh, based, courage based, love based in their everyday lives, it would just lead to non-compliance because dignity and complying with whatever they're trying to do is incompatible. So, for example, if we go and look at mandates that so many people complied with just because, right, just because it's too inconvenient, even if people didn't like it, imagine that people, majority of people just refuse to comply. So if they're not letting, 
you know, my friend in in, I'm not going in either, like that principle, and globally. There would be no mandate in five minutes, maybe in a month, but there's so many more of us, just quantitatively. But I think the problem is, is that many people feel alone. And it's true, if each of us is just like tiny little bitty end against the central bankers, then it's clear who wins in a practical sense of things, right? But if it's 9 billion or 5 billion or even, you know, 4 billion of teeny bitty ants who all say, you know what, screw you. I am not going to betray my brother. I am not going to betray my neighbor, my patient, my client, my friend, my spouse. Then it has such a tremendous power. Now, I think that the moment a lot of people are ready for that, we are going to have a world that is so beautiful. It just wants to make me cry, makes to want me cry. Uh, but I think it's not going to happen in the near future, though, because that's how history works. It's like the same thing that was happening in the medical freedom movement. Um, remember 2020? Like there was this distinct feeling that this time around we're going to be smart. This time around the abuse is so massive, it is so obvious that we are going to obviously not comply and refuse all this abuse. And but it didn't happen because what actually happened is because we didn't really end up in camps, except maybe Australia, some people, but speaking of the United States. Right, so life still kind of goes on. I mean, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, the general feel is stinky, but life kind of goes on. And then everybody just got back to what they usually do, like business, marketing, brand building, even Substack. It, it's fascinating because I remember the feeling in 2020, and maybe I was idealistic, but there was this purity. And now it's just a market space. I mean, it's mostly a market space. And it fascinates me. I'm like, wow, I mean, this is amazing. And everybody's doing little marketing tricks. And I know about marketing tricks because I did marketing professionally. I mean, like, I don't do it myself because I, I just decided to go the road of like actually doing it for the right thing. Not that marketing is intrinsically bad, but like I do it very minimally, just as, as long as it's supporting the right thing. Right, a lot of marketing is education. Oh, right. But I mean, you could like, I see the good marketing is that actually like trying to help people, like actually just trying to use the language that gets through to do something good, that is sincere, where the love is sincere, where I'm not trying to trick somebody into thinking something that, I mean, like, I'm not trying to twist anybody's arm or convert them, even convert them to what I think. Like I'm just offering things to think about and I try to do it lovingly because that's what I feel on the inside. That's sincere. That's not a gimmick. But, yeah, but in, internally we had this discussion in, uh, in uh, yeah. Rounding the Earth as to like whether or not we would accept any advertisers. And, uh -huh. and the, uh, the view that we came up with was um, that we would be willing to advertise uh, sort of within our network or as an education mm -hmm. service. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if, if you're educating somebody about what a product is, like back when the vacuum cleaner first right. first invented, there were vacuum cleaner salesmen. And what they did was go knock on doors and go house to house. Um, but 
it, there's something that you said that I want to focus on. You, you, you were talking about the isolation of the individual. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we've got this larger topic of trauma, which I think is part of the reason that, that um, the, the level of control happens the way that it does. And you mentioned conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theorists sort of keep turning out to be right. Um, and of course, I mean, you know, there's plenty of conspiracy theories and some of them are badly wrong. <laughs> and, 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 you know, each of us can speculate. And when we do speculate, we're more often wrong than right, which is a good reason to sort of, you know, hold views in, in with, with non-committal belief. Uh -huh. Right. But, I, I, you know, one of the things that, that, that we should do is forcefully assert, assert the fact that this is an inversion of reality. Every time someone calls us a conspiracy theorist, this is an inversion of reality. You know, what that person is, is an absurdity theorist. Like really and truly, you know, like they're, they're the ones who are sort of breaking the model of reality, right? If you're not imagining that, um, that banks are pulling strings on global behavior and planning wars and, you know, doing really nefarious, awful things for profit at times, right? To me, that that's absurdity theory. <laughs> you know, the idea, the idea that, that everyone in government, ha, you know, ha, has your best interest at heart. That's absurdity theory, right? The, the idea, you know, basically, um, you know, just a denial of, of the realities of the world is absurdity theory. But when you begin to question those things, even if, even if your questions aren't always aimed correctly, right, even if your hypotheses aren't all correct, you get labeled uh, a conspiracy theorist. This is an inversion of the process of of growing and figuring out what's going on in the world. And so I think we should reverse the labeling process because really and truly, it's those people who are actively doing something that is worth labeling, but they, they force us to accept a label. Oh, absolutely. That is a, that is a very good point. And I think uh, and it ties together what you were saying and what we talked about previously. I think we're just in this very long, relatively speaking, historical phase uh, that, you know, my friend Stephen Newcomb calls it the system of domination. And I think this is what it is. So the whole framework of it is that there are certain individuals with psychopathic tendencies doing all sorts of trick and magic and violence on everybody in order to convince others to accept being dominated. And I want to say that that power, I mean, like power is a part of nature. So I think when in balance, there is role and there is healthy place for power and for leadership, for all those things, even though leadership is really service. But right now, everything is completely out of balance. So the people who love power, they're psychopathic. They don't have compassion. So to them, it's a drug. So essentially, we're being ruled by addicts. And that's what it is. So the addicts are in the driver's seat. They're insane. But it has been this way for some centuries right now. It's just the decorations change. And sometimes one group gets abused more. Sometimes another group gets abused more. And then what they do is, of course, they want people to fight. And tendency to fight over disagreement 
I mean, that's human nature. Let's face it. That's that's a part of who we are. However, they play one group against another very masterfully. That has been the trick for many, many, many centuries. Uh, for example, and we were just discussing it recently, right? So um, what happened with the genocide of Native Americans? That was objectively a genocide. Uh, it was led by people who blasphemously used the name of God to justify a genocide, which to me is the most blasphemous thing you can imagine. I mean, like, how can you ascribe genocidal desire to God? This is bizarre. Right. it did work, right? So, so the and, and they actively whipped up bigotry as they went, right? Uh, when there was conflict, you know, it, there's conflict and, um, you know, there's more killing on one side or the other. But when, you know, if if uh, a tribe wound up killing a few settlers, then this was used as propaganda to whip people up to create more violence against Native Americans. Yeah, to kill thousands more. I mean, like that's and and I think the numbers, of course, it's very hard to say for sure right now, but the number that i heard of the people actually murdered over time as far as in the americas like 100 million so and there's arguments about the numbers and ultimately you know that's such a gruesome topic that numbers don't even matter because but so what i'm saying is that objectively it was an absolutely horrible thing and i want to add another uh branch to the thing and i'm trying to weave a whole tree actually and then come to one point so who was used by the elites of the time to decimate the population of the americas it was misplaced peasants from europe the peasants who were abused by the same roughly speaking spiritually speaking the same type of elites so first, the elites stole the dignity and the land mm -hmm. and the ability to live well from the peasants in Europe. And we can talk about the Roman uh, conquest and all that. I mean, like history is complex and big, right? So then the peasants forgot how it all started in Europe. So they felt undignified. And I've read a bunch about the history of how the peasants were lured to law or to board a ship and then come to Americas with the promises of land, Indian land. I'm sorry, Indian land. It was Indian land. It was somebody's land. So it was not vacant, but so misplaced pe peasants were used to be the killers of the original people of this land. And then the elites pit people against each other. They said, oh, those hostile Indians, the horrible devil worshippers, whatnot, all lies. Now, nonetheless, people believed in it and because they were undignified, they were broken. Now, uh, for instance, today, uh, there's a whole debate about immigrants, especially immigrants from non-European countries and people feel anxious. Who are those immigrants? They are misplaced peasants. How are they misplaced? They are misplaced by the elites, the same elites who are abusing all of us. They just abuse them more right now there's war that, i mean and even if maybe they're in cities maybe those immigrants are in cities so three generations ago one generation ago their parents their grandparents they were misplaced and abused peasants farmers so the same elites abuse us abuse them abuse everybody 
and then they want us to fight with each other. And then the absolutely genius thing uh, that is happening today, evil genius, is the wokeism, right? So the genocide, again, all the abuse, very real. And in my opinion, again, that's great reset point number one, uh, 1.0. And so, but then the woke theory, it talks about it, but it talks about it in such a manner deliberately that no person with self-respect is going to take it seriously and actually is going to be annoyed, right? So it would be amazing if we all start, started talking about it from the heart. And I do believe that people who, let's say, they don't have maybe any native ancestry that they know of, let's say they pride themselves in being like a good, good American, right? So like proper in the classic sense of it. I don't think that if they they hear about the genocide, they would go, yay, like, like genocide was justified. I don't think so because we're human beings. I mean, we don't approve of harm done to any human. That's just our instinct, right? I mean, we feel compassion, but if somebody comes and say, you guilty white ass, you like, then person gets defensive. They don't want to even hear about it. And that's what the alphabets want. And who alphabets serve the elites, that's the, that's how it works. And if everybody the, on the level of regular people started talking about, uh, talking about that, talking to each other and trying to heal this massive trauma in earnest, from a sincere position with prayer however we pray and accept each other's prayers that's what the elites are afraid of because they would be dead in the water like 10 minutes after it starts happening and that's what they don't want to happen and that's why they pit us against each other still so what what would detach people from their rivalries right like i i completely agree with you i think that the the creation of deliberate rivalries amongst um, people outside that tiny, tiny, you know, 0.1% power class. Um, they're, they're able to use, to use everyone else by pitting them against each other, sort of forcing them to fight in the arena, um, doing it to take power and to take land. What, what would everyone else have to do in order to end the game because you're right that if everybody just stopped and turned their attention toward the problem that it would be over but 90 percent of those people um they're not awake and again the the correct word is stolen right just like the greater reset just like build back better all these good phrases these good words they get stolen um the people who are woke are the opposite of woke they're they're committed more strongly to those rivalries that keep them from looking upward and understanding the game that is at play you know so so what wakes up the woke i think the same thing that wakes up everybody's sincerity and i think that it's good to be humble about one person's ability to wake anybody's anybody up because that for example, if we look at, again, the indigenous, 500 years, or if we go look uh, at other continents, we're looking at two or more thousand years where 
people have internalized a lie. And again, people find spiritual truth in different faith systems, I believe, in different religions. And it's all tremendously beautiful, as long as it's beautiful on the inside. But as far as a narrative, it takes centuries. So I think that really uh, macro and micro are so interrelated. So the best thing that I think each of us can do is to pray for guidance to be the best version of ourselves. And it is tremendously powerful in practical terms if it is done consistently. Because I think that from the, and then of course act on things, do brave things, not be afraid. But I think it's very hard to do that without seeking the help from the higher powers, from God, from the spiritual world, from the universe, from the ancestors whom you love in your own family, who you, you know, role models for you, and you just feel that continuity. I think that spiritual help is crucial. And I mean, genuinely, not just saying dogmatic words, not turning prayer into yet another, like us versus them, like forget about them. Meaning, yes, you have to take care of your enemies like a warrior, it's important. Without that, it's stupid, you can die. But nonetheless, when you think about the existential, just focus on you, focus what, what should you do? What is the best version of yourself, the most honorable? How do you treat others? And, and that's what I try to do all the time, and I'm sure very imperfectly. But, you know, sometimes you mess up. Sometimes maybe you hurt somebody you didn't mean to or you didn't have the resources, whatever. So then come back and say, like, I'm sorry, I did that. I was wrong, you, you know, for whatever reasons. Maybe you couldn't do any better at the time. So, but people are normal. I think that when you talk to people, to sincere people, again, then it eventually works out. And if you do it with prayer, you know, when you fix things and you pray for the best solution, you pray for the heal, and you, you don't stop. You don't stop till you die. And then once you die, I don't know what happens. I mean, like I have ideas, but I don't know how it works in, in, in those terms. But that's an ongoing thing. It's not like you did one successful prayer and then, you know, maybe you got good results and then you stop and then you rest and you think you're awesome. I think that's the trick. Once you start thinking that you're just awesome without doing anything, that's when the decline starts. That's the human trajectory and the civilizational trajectory. You just entrust, and, and I think it, it might be the only way to be functional about it. You constantly delegate to the higher powers as far as what's the right thing to do. And, and you all constantly check yourself. And you make alliances with people who strike you as sincere. And then there's a whole other topic, which is insincere people. I mean, that's a separate beast. So, for example, in the medical freedom community, there's, you know, like back and forth and this and that, and who is CEO and all that. I think a lot of it is misguided because people are very imperfect and there's lots of egos and that's a separate beast not idea but people's egos are a separate beast from like seal right but with sincere people it makes sense to talk then with insincere people it's whole other matter and it's case by case but with people who are deliberately trying to trick you and again that's a different matter you just 
handle it. It's difficult. It's a game of uh, of taking your time, right? Um, it, it, it's it's a difficult challenge. Um, you know, when you assume sincerity, um, you can have an army of insincere people come take your time, and it becomes that becomes a real challenge. And, and the uh, the media can be orchestrated. I, I think this oh, is yeah. this. You know, when you said that, um, you know, figuring out the mother of all psyops is a lot of the problem. I think you know therein lies the problem because. Um, most people, you know, you can check the people around you that you know personally, right? You can check that, but it's very, very difficult to run a check on people who are talking at you through a television screen or, you know, over Twitter, right? The, these are terrible channels for um, ever solving the game of trust. So I think that's why we have instincts. You know, modern life teaches us that we're all brain and all logic, but logic is very easy to trick, as we saw with the COVID uh, pandemic and with many other things, because it's like a Russian doll of lies. Even one figured out one, like somebody figured out one lie, but then there might be a hundred lies underneath. And it's, it's a very, very difficult task to unwrap them all and figure them all out. But logic is the easiest thing to trick because arrogance and vanity and i think the tricksters usually uh they actually really like it when people have vices so to speak whether it's vanity or whether it's gullibility whether it's big ego whether there's general sense of rivalry that is easy to exploit so like i always keep saying and writing that you have to be pure like trying to be pure and honest and alert at the same time without freaking out is significantly more valuable than reading a hundred books on MK Ultra. I mean, it's good to read them, but it's not going to protect you just reading it because it's it's about different things. So going back to senses, senses are important. It's important to use your instincts that you have and also pray for guidance because sometimes trick tricksters are very sophisticated and you have to constantly pray for guidance and pray to the universe and and just really you know befriend the good forces and there's no way around it really i mean there's no formula you're not going to put somebody's name on the computer and the the internet of all tricksters is going to tell you this person is a trickster or not you know you kind of do that you have to use your senses yeah, there's this interesting bifurcation of people according to uh, which part of their um, which part of their faculties have been dulled worse. There are people who um, who are very highly educated who have lost the ability to use their intuition on that level. Yeah, who have lost the ability to use their instincts and to um, you know intuit a certain amount of truth. And then there are people who have uh, have not experienced that that um, higher discipline of education, where in order to figure out whether or not something is true, you go through, you know, a process of applying, you know, different forms of knowledge in a rigorous way, and this this split between these two types of people causes each group to recognize a different set of lies. That is such and, a good and, point. And, and, and the mother of all psyops involves taking those two people. 
those two groups of people and throwing them at one another. And so I, I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges because um, each side is going to have to realize that though they recognize the mistakes of the other side, that that's still their mistake, right? Um, well, let, let, let's go ahead and, and move toward uh, some sort of conclusion. Is there anything, um, you know, I mean, we, we, we're we going through, a you know, quite a wormhole, you know, quite a strong set of forces, uh, and, and the whole world is shaking at once. Um, uh, I can't remember who, who said this, but, you know, uh, three, you know, two and a half years ago, I, I talked to somebody who said it's like, you know, somebody's shaking the jar of ants, but uh, every everything seems to be stressed. It's flying apart. What what's uh, what's a takeaway that everybody can um, that everybody can try to meditate on and and absorb um, in terms of this global trauma that that as many people as possible need to wake up from? I have three things to say. Uh, do we have the time? Sam, Sam all. So, okay. So first I want to directly answer what you said. Uh, the way I think about it, imagine if you're in a plane and turbulence starts and it's horrible, right? And you can be just completely terrified, which is natural, or you can engage the very high prayer and almost like, well, I guess if it's the turbulence on the level that is just, you know, your brain is out, then it's, you know, it's hard. But if it's just some degree of turbulence, right, you can engage that high prayer and enjoy the ride almost like, like a child, like an adventure. And I think that mechanism of turning challenge into an adventure by maybe thinking ahead and thinking that that's going to be done like the the difficult thing that you're going through it's one day going to be over and you know what if you're going to be dead by then then it's probably going to be over in a different thing and you're going to be maybe in a nicer place right so still not the end of the world but just turning the difficult situation into an adventure and i personally do believe and i'm, I'm very sincere that we're here for a reason and we're given the faculty to deal with our challenges Sometimes our challenges are there specifically to remind us of our faculties. And once you overcome it, whatever it is, and sometimes maybe you give up a hundred times before you overcome it. Sometimes maybe it feels completely desperate and you just pray and you say like, you know what, just help me figure it out. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I think that's a very effective prayer. Like when you say, however you pray to the creator to you know, to the universe when they say, I have no idea what I'm doing. I need guidance. Hello, help me. So I think, I think that's a very good prayer. So I, I, I love this one. I love turning it into an adventure. So that that's point number one. Point number two is what we talked about before with tricksters. I think different personality types fall for different kind of tricks. Like for example, people who are, say, prone to ego and vanity, they can be flattered very effectively. Then people who are very pure-hearted, they fall for a different trap because they just ascribe good motives to everybody. And it's a learning process. I think once you know, nose dive a few times, then you learn not to do that. So 
but again, it's experiential. Then you figure it out. So what I'm trying to say is that nobody is immune. Somebody can be very smart and even very intuitive, whatnot, but you still have to be alert at all times and also get signals in real time. Like sometimes if somebody acted this way and then they suddenly act differently, maybe there's a change, you know, like it needs to be checked out, right? So the like, mother of all psyops is tailored to you personally, no matter who you are. I think I think that is very true. I think and, it is. And and the third thing has nothing to do with what we talked about, but I just want to mention it. I have this medical theory. Well, it has a little bit to do with it. I've been doing a lot of research uh and i started thinking about it from the psychological perspective i wrote an article about parasites and psychology and uh, i was interested in actual psychology of the great reset and then i discovered this plethora of amazing psychological mind tricks that happen in nature with the parasites and and i just for whatever i started reading about it and reading about it and reading about it and i have a feeling that a lot of the things, and I'm throwing it out there for doctors, for people to read. I'm not saying it's true or it's untrue. It's just an idea that I have. So a lot of the things that people talk about in terms of long COVID, for example, are nearly identical to like certain parasitic infections that are extremely prevalent by the mainstream numbers even. So for example, Toxoplasma that I wrote a couple of articles about, it's a parasite people get from cats, uh, from cats or from meat. And uh, 20 to 90% of the population, depending on the country, are considered latent carriers. 20 to 90. So the average is 30% of the people in the world, including in the West and in America. Like Brazil is 90%, and France and Germany, for example, extremely prevalent. So the theory goes that once if the immune system is fine, then people can live their entire life without knowing that. And I think that applies to most pathogens of biological of any other nature. So if people are very immune, they, they deal with it and they don't even know. But there has been a lot of research that didn't make it quite to the mainstream medical community or even the dissident medical community uh, is that first of all, the diagnostics, the way it's diagnosed, it's completely, uh, it's very outdated because this organism changes its surface structure once it transforms to a tissue cyst form and then uh the antibodies the old antibodies no longer apply i mean they eventually wane because the body sees it as, as a new organism based on the surface structure so the old antibodies no longer bind they wane so if somebody had it for a long time then uh the tests would be the, the standard one the serology test would be useless Doctors, for some reason, don't think about it yet, but there is research to that effect and actual significant research. Then it's been tied significantly to neurological symptoms, autism-like symptoms, dementia, tics, and even on the level of like when it causes pneumonia and somebody's immune system is not doing very well, it, ca it causes those opaque lungs that are typical for COVID, right? Whatever it is. And there's a tremendous overlap. And then the herbal medicines that are recommended for it, for example, there's tremendous overlap with the COVID treatment alternative ones and the antiparasitic. And so I have a theory that I, I just want everybody to consider. And if you're a doctor, just look into that 
uh, please, because I think a lot of people may be helped if I'm correct. Uh, if whatever, whether it's the real or imaginary virus, the bioweapon, the 5Gs, whatever it is, it impacted immune system of the people on a massive scale. So people already carried it. And if a lot of the long COVID symptoms are a result of that or similar pathogens just rearing their ugly head that was invisible before and nobody's even looking at it, then there might, may be multiple mechanisms. Of course, I'm not a doctor. I'm saying it as a thinking human being, like with, you know, that's my feeling about it. So there might be multiple mechanisms, or there might be one. Because like, for example, Jessica, I want to talk to her about that actually. Jessica wrote about the membrane, cellular membrane being demolished by the vax, by I think she was talking about Moderna, the spike vax, uh, just because they coded it so brilliantly, sarcasm alert. So if you have, or not you, if somebody has an intracellular tiny organism sitting inside your cell, kind of quietly, not really doing much harm, then something strikes through your cellular membrane, maybe something happens, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But I talk to a lot of people actually say, oh, they start having vision problems, they start having like this, that, and that's kind of a classic. So I'm just throwing it out there because I've been trying to tell doctors, kind of like you with your DMED, I am like, please, please look into that. Like, please, 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 please. I think that's a good theory. Please look into that. But then, of course, every human being, I mean, everybody has a theory of their own, which I don't blame them. Everybody thinks there's the best. And, but I do have a strong feeling that I'm onto something and I just want to give it to the world so that people, people look into that. And I think in earnest, that's going to be a bigger problem down the line, just given the prevalence of this thing and the drop, dropping uh, situation with Indian systems. So it's good to start looking at that before the elite peoples find a way to cause harm with it. So that my, that, that's my medical talk. Yeah, adding to that, um, uh, there's something that I think a lot of people haven't heard this about the pandemic yet, which is that over the past three years, the bottom quartile of Americans have exploded in proportion of obesity. Mm -hmm. um, of course, uh, you know, there's already a substantial uh, percentage of America uh, who was beyond the, you know, uh, at or beyond the obesity line. Um, but uh, the, the top quartile uh, socioeconomic, you know, earning class of Americans um, basically didn't change in terms of like weight, meaning which is probably a pretty good proxy for changes in health status. Um, but those, those at the bottom changed a lot. And so we, we probably will see um, more vulnerability to whatever is going on, no matter what it is externally that we blame for it. Um, but that's, you know, there, there's always a, uh, an interaction between the terrain and, and anything else that might, you know, penetrate it. Well, Tessa, uh, thanks so much for, for joining me again today. This is like, uh, whenever it is that I read, um, read your Substack, I always feel like, uh, you have, um, a, a different, relationship or, 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 you know, that you spend more time thinking through um, trauma as it interacts with 
all of the other things going on. So yeah, I appreciate your time and, uh, and you know, uh, talking with all of us about it. Oh, absolutely. It is my joy. And I, and I love so much about your intellect that you always think original thoughts. So it's mutual admiration club as always. Thanks. Thanks everybody for joining us and we'll see you again another time.